What's business development? Unlike being an accountant or a lawyer, working in business development means you often get asked, what exactly do you do? Business development can mean something completely different in every industry and at every company. And because many times we're the only ones of our kind at a company, we can struggle with the ambiguity of our own jobs. By exploring the careers of some of the brightest members of the Fernio business development community, we'll learn what this job is all about and how to do it well. And perhaps, once and for all, we can answer the age-old question, what exactly is business development? After the episode, if you'd like to learn more, or if you'd like to join a community of peers who are all pursuing a similar career journey, join us at Fernio.com. On this episode, Julia Rudlin shares how a career that spans e-commerce, tech, and venture capital has given her a unique perspective on how she leads business development today at Terminal. Take a listen. Hi, I'm Julia Rudlin. I'm the Director of Business Development and Growth for Terminal. Uh, We are a remote teams company, so remote engineering offices as a service. So Julia, I'm really glad to have you here today. Why don't you tell me a bit about your background and um, how you came to your current position? Absolutely. Um, So let's see. So I've worked in tech for over the past several years, uh, but I actually began my career in fashion. Um, In college, I spent my summers interning uh, in Milan at a fashion showroom and then at Gilt Group in Tokyo, Japan, uh, when the company had just launched and was 50 people. I grew up in Tokyo and my parents still live there, so it was an incredible experience to be able to work for a cutting-edge fashion company while also spending the summer at home. Uh, While I had a job at school teaching French, I only had real applicable work experience outside the U.S., so I knew I wanted to work in the U.S. after graduation. Uh, So I figured New York was a global fashion capital, um, an extremely tough market. Um, There's like a song that's like, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? Um, So I figured if I could be successful here, then any future employer would, would take me seriously, and so that's why I moved to New York. Uh, So I started my career at Gilt in New York um, in fashion merchandising, but I quickly learned that I loved the tech side of Gilt and wanted to explore that further. Uh, So I moved into a strategy role where I was tasked with launching Gilt globally. Uh, I was part of a team of three, so I managed everything from ops to product to marketing, uh, like hand-selecting items that we sold to international customers, guiding product enhancements, creating and managing our global shipping policy, ensuring that uh, and creating local marketing campaigns, posting on social channels, creating customer support scripts in various languages, etc. Um, it was an incredible sort of startup within a startup experience. And uh, I loved being able to take a US-centric experience and make it really locally relevant um, for a global audience, which is exactly uh, what I continued to, to do in my career and my next step at, at Vine. Um, so I'm RIP Vine. Um, I'm sure as you know, Vine was acquired by Twitter um, and at the time that I was looking for a new uh, role after leaving Gilt, uh, my former manager and mentor, who um, you know continues to be extremely instrumental in my in my career, um, she connected me with this opportunity at Vine, um, where 
essentially there was a lot of latent demand for the application in international markets. Uh, they didn't know what to do with it, and so I was hired on to basically scale um, and grow usage as well as downloads of the app in international markets. Um, and so while my role was really more product and strategy focused, um, I started to dabble into more of a BD role in that I was working directly with businesses um, and corporations to get them to use the app and post uh, content onto Vine. Um, and so it was more of a, it's a less transactional, less sales-driven BD role in that sense. Um, but I did spend a large amount of time working with, again, with those businesses as well as creators um, to getting them to partner and, and create more content onto the app. Um, and so, you know, what I learned, you know, I learned a lot about building networks and um, products for scale uh, in that role, and essentially what I had learned at Vine, I then took with me um, and applied to my role uh, at FirstMark Capital, which is a uh, leading venture capital firm here in New York City. Um, and so FirstMark, um, you know, in venture, just to back up a little bit, in venture, you know, obviously VCs offer a lot of capital to growing startups. Um, but now that the market is so competitive, VCs have to offer something outside of capital to be relevant and continue to see um, and scale their deal flow. And so FirstMark was taking a really interesting product and scaled approach to being able to help and service their portfolio companies. Um, so I was really interested in joining the team and being able to build products and almost a self-service uh, tooling for our portfolio companies and founders to be able to use so that they could then in turn be able to build and scale their companies from there. Um, so at FirstMark, I essentially built tools, content, and basically anything that our companies needed in order to grow, uh, as well as facilitating um, introductions to key sales partners, as well as talent introductions, and basically being like a concierge, uh, helpful however I could in order for our companies to scale and succeed. Um, at the end of the day, though, I knew I wanted to end up on the tech side, on the operating side, um, and so I decided to go back into tech and, and leave venture. Um, so now um, I'm, at, uh, I'm at Terminal, where we are essentially like remote engineering offices as a service. Um, so at first, Mark, you know, the number one problem that our, our founders and uh, portfolio companies, the number one problem that they had was being able to find engineering talent at scale. Um, in New York, engineers are uh, extremely expensive, and there's just not a large um, talent pool out here. So startups really need to think about building remote teams uh, but unfortunately, doing that is really um, expensive and resource intensive. So we essentially take on that burden um, and offer them as a service. Um, and so at Terminal, essentially what I'm doing is uh, when I joined the team a year ago, um, you know, we had just raised our Series A. We had come out of stealth um, in the previous year. And while we were, uh, we saw a lot of demand and we're satisfying demand on the West Coast, there was a lot of um, opportunity here in New York and on the East Coast. Uh, so I was hired on to lead business development as well as growth uh, and sign on new clients onto Terminal that are based out here in New York City. Uh, so my role now is very much uh, business development, growth marketing, um, you know, technical sales, um, and a lot of that all mixed together, which I'm sure is a very common story with BD folks. Um, you know, BD is always, it can mean anything and everything, and in this case, it means everything. Um, so it's been very, uh, very exciting to, to lead the growth for Terminal out here in New York. Mm -hmm. Definitely a really interesting story and a lot of different um, concepts just going full circle. Yeah. So realize that um, you said in the beginning about um, wanting to go into tech and then towards the end um, in terms of landing in your current role as well, it is that 
tech aspect.、Mm-hmm. So, what got you initially initially interested in technology? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I think、um, I don't think I realized this about myself, but now that I've been in tech for several years, and I look back at my childhood,、uh, I'm an only child. And growing up in Japan,、um, I think I grew up naturally playing games, like a lot of video games, by myself or with my friends. And I used to spend my summers actually、uh, coding websites, both designing and, and coding them on the front end, and、um, you know buying up domain names. And I found it so exciting and really fascinating and fun. So I think inherently there was just always something within me that just loved the space. Um, from a work and career perspective, I think tech is fascinating and s- extremely fun in that there's a lot of you know moving fast and learning、um, a lot about the product and learning from the engineers that are building you know the products that you're working on. There's so much to learn every single day, and I think it's just such a fast moving,、uh, fast paced industry that、um, I find incredibly fascinating and、um, really humbling because. Tech seems to attract some of the smartest people、um, that I know,、um, you know, that I've met in my life, and I've been really thankful and fortunate to be able to work in this industry for that long. What was it like、um, in developing the different types of skills that you had to learn?、Um, Given you mentioned what you were doing with Gilt on that small team, and then what you're currently doing right now, just in terms of、um, skill acquisition, so of、yeah. that、um, generalist versus specialist framework. Yeah, I mean, I think that、um, I'm very much a generalist.、Uh, I'd consider myself sort of a jack of all trades, and I think that's probably what makes me good at, at business development and sort of growth roles, which are always amb- amb- ambiguous. There's the word.、Um, I think that for me at Gilt, and even now in my current role at Terminal,、um, and now that I'm talking out loud, also at Vine and at Firstmark. So in all of my roles throughout my career. Um, I think that I've been tasked with figuring out what to do.、Um, the baseline of my roles has been, you know, being given、um, a large data set and being told, "Hey, we know that there's an opportunity in X, Y, and Z markets. Figure it out and figure out how we grow those markets."、Um, and you know, whether that's through product enhancements or through marketing campaigns or whatever it might be, just sort of taking. This ambiguous situation and just figuring out how to to see scale and grow from from that situation,、um, and so I'd say that、um, I've been lucky to be able to find these sort of growth slash BD roles in my career,、um, and really rely on the mentors and the advisors around me to figure out. Um, you know, what do they know? What do the specialists around me know? What can I learn from them and apply into、um, the problem that I'm currently solving? And I think through that, I've been able to to hone in on a lot of a variety of different skills、um, across product, across marketing, and now in BD and, and technical sales.、Um, and that's really all thanks to you know these incredible mentors that have been around me that I've been able to ask for help and ask for guidance on. Yeah, it's really、um, the way I view business development as well is a mix of strategy, sales, and relationship management,、mm-hmm. um, plus really a lot more given your roles in、um, growth. So,、um, what would you say、um, are some of the commonalities?、Uh, I know that there's a variety of skills that can be employed,、mm-hmm. but、um, across that, what are some of the commonalities in terms of what it takes to be successful in business development? These are great questions. So, let's see. To be successful in business development, so I think first, you know, breaking down this idea of BD、um, and what makes this community so interesting, the Fernio community so interesting, is that 
there are so many different types of BD. Um, so there's the type of BD that you do, which I think is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but more partnerships-based versus transactional in sales. There's, you know, very API-based, more technical BD where you're thinking about um, syndicating your content across different types of APIs and things like that. I think in all of those instances with BD, what makes someone good at the role is probably a mix of empathy confidence, um, confidence and or poise, the ability to speak to, you know, C-suite or whoever is across the table from you. Um, And I think a level of maybe EQ. Um, So being able to understand and identify, you know, what is the actual problem that the person across the table from you is trying to solve? And how can you leverage the solution or the product that you have in order to solve that problem? Um, Because I think a lot of times in these conversations, especially in BD versus sales, um, you know, the client is coming to you with a problem that they're trying to fix and they think that your solution can fix it, but they don't really know how. Um, And sometimes your solution is malleable and that's where sort of deal structuring comes in where you can figure out, um, you know, how can we piece together the right solution and the right deal for you in order to solve that problem or hit the goals that you're looking to hit um, together. And I think um, so that confidence, the, the EQ and the ability to identify, um, you know, what the problem is and coming up with a solution to that problem. Um, and um, I think a combination of those things is really important to be successful in business development. You really touched upon a lot of the people skills, so I would yeah. call it, um, as opposed to something like more of the technical, which is definitely really important. But it's being able to have both to make that well-rounded individual Mm -hmm. to be able to fit that generous role. Something I noticed um, when you mentioned those is also what you brought up about mentors and Mm -hmm. mentorship. Um, Can you tell me more about your experience with um, how did you find these mentors? um, What are your interactions? Yeah, so I've been really lucky to have incredible managers who have become my mentors um, throughout my career, Um, you know, a lot of my uh, current mentors and what I call sponsors. Um, So a quick difference between mentorship and sponsorship. Mentorship, the idea is that this person is dedicating time and potentially even coaching you throughout your career. So it's a lot of, um, it's a very relationship-based partnership or relationship there. Um, Or rather, it's a very time-consuming relationship and you probably spend a lot of time career mapping and and, um, solving some other career Um, career uh, questions that you might have with this person. Sponsorship is really just this idea that there's someone within your organization or within your network that's just, um, it's very low touch. They're shooting you, um, you know, uh, job postings for things that might be interesting for you or, um, you know, really just laying up some opportunities your way, but not really spending a lot of time conversing with you on, you know, those career mapping and, and deeper questions. Um, so I would say that a large portion of my mentors come from, um, you know, are my former managers that I've worked with at Guild, at Vine, um, you know, in Firstmark and throughout my career. And uh, I'd say my sponsors are typically people that I've met at, let's say, conferences or more through friends of friends or at other sorts of networking events. Um, I think potentially the... Um, you know, the idea of sharing opportunities and, um, you know, sharing lessons learned as well as some other insights into the industries that you're in and helpful pieces of content. Maybe that's a New York and or tech and or venture thing where our community is, is relatively small and tight knit out here. 
Um, so potentially it's one of those pay it forward things where the New York community is really tight in that, um, you know, we share helpful information with each other all the time. Uh, but I find that the difference between my mentors and my sponsors are that my mentors I've worked with more closely and have spent more time with. Yeah. Uh, one topic that um, I've noticed come up, especially with people starting out with their careers, is mentorship. So mm-hmm. you've touched a lot upon um, how that's worked for you. Um, how do you stay in contact with your mentors and remain in contact? I am fortunate, again, to be good friends with all of my mentors. So, uh, you know, we might text every so often about something in our personal lives. Um, but I think in general, you know, especially if you're starting to think about building your own mentorship network, if you see an interesting article that has anything to do with what your uh, mentor or potential mentor uh, does and what sector that they're in, send it their way. Um, You know, the reason that I got my opportunity at Vine was because I saw that Vine had launched a really cool new music initiative um, and they were launching a music partnership and I thought that was fascinating. So I sent that article to the person that I knew who was GM at Vine at the time and said, yo, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, Congratulations on the launch. And from there, that opened the doors for me to, to interview with him and with the company. So I think... Um, with any relationship, I think it's just a matter of cadence, keeping up the communication um, and uh, sending over anything that you find is interesting and relevant for that person or that you find interesting as well. Um, I suggest those things. Yeah, especially because it creates a point of connection. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In doing some research on your background, um, I looked that you've had a number of career conversations, um, a lot of it aided by your mentors when um, going from GOAT to Vine. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me more about that? Um, what questions were you asking mm-hmm. when you were searching and what, some, what were some of the attributes you were looking for in a company? So when I was leaving GILT, so GILT was my first, um, GILT was my first job in my career. And so I didn't really know what was out there. I didn't know what jobs were out there. I didn't know um, what I wanted to do. I didn't know what industry I wanted to be in. And so I was lucky enough to have a very nurturing boss and manager at the time who um, re- recognized that I was at Guilt for about three and a half years. It was my first job. I should probably think about moving on to something, um, to a new opportunity at that point um, and learn new skills in a new industry. And so she was fantastic in setting me up with about you know 20 coffees and conversations uh, with her network of people that she thought I might be interested in speaking with. Um, given the uh, career aspirations that I had at the time, um, which at the time was like anything ranging from marketing to BD to to product to whatever it might be. Um, And so through those conversations, I was able to ask um, a bunch of great people who are still in my network today, actually. Um, You know, I was able to ask these questions uh, to all of these people. You know, one of them was leading marketing at the NFL. Another was doing um, product for Android at Google. Um, So they really ran the gamut in terms of what they were doing. And I was able to figure out, you know, what drove them to want to do what they're doing now? And are those motivations something that that I relate to? And would that be a role that I would eventually want to be in as well? And from those conversations, I started to identify, you know, I do like the product side of tech and I want to keep being um, and continue to work in product and growth on on the tech side of things. Um, And so those conversations were extremely helpful for me to understand 
um, you know, what it was that motivated the people to have those, um, to pursue those roles um, and figure out whether or not those were the same motivations that I had and if that would be a, a realistic career path for me. Um, so I'd suggest, you know, if you're going through the same exercise, ask these people, what is it that excites you in your day to day that you love about your job that keeps you at your job? What are the hurdles and the challenges that you face and what keeps you up at night? You know, are those challenges something that you find exciting or are those completely daunting? Then maybe don't do that role. Um, the other questions that I would definitely ask and that I did ask were, um, you know, this is not the end of your career. Where do you see your career going in the next five to 10 years? And how is this current role a great stepping stone to the next thing? Um, because if you, let's say, you know that you want to be CEO of a company, can you backtrack that to the next role that you have your eye on? If yes, then that's perfect. Go for it. If no, then maybe you want to rethink that step. So those were incredibly helpful conversations. Yeah, part of knowing where you want to go and then tracing the steps back to get there. Mm -hmm. In terms of facing um, what's unexpected, um, especially given your role right now where you're more um, of a leadership in a leadership position, um, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with defining your role? Defining your role. This is always really exciting, especially in startups, since there's just so much ambiguity all of the time, everywhere. Um, I think defining your role really just comes down to identifying what the needs of the company are and the needs of the business. Um, and whether it's about figuring that out quarter by quarter or year by year, if you have the um, you know, the runway to figure out what the needs are of the business by the year, that's fantastic. Go for it. And uh, in terms of being a leader within the company, um, so I'm a fully remote employee. Uh, our headquarters, our terminal headquarters are based in San Francisco. We have teams across Canada in four locations and one team in Mexico as well. So, you know, it's hard to sort of um, it's hard to be a leader when you're not physically present. So as much as I can, I try to uh, constantly check in with teammates uh, over Slack. Um, you know, whether, again, it's regularly sending uh, relevant news articles and information, just checking in on your, your fellow colleagues, seeing how they're doing, um, having, um, you know, random chats about your personal life. I think it's really important to have that sort of digital FaceTime. Um, which is really interesting as we start to become a more remote workforce in general, um, what leadership looks like in that sense. Um, I would say that the best leaders and managers that I've worked for in the past have been really good at FaceTime, almost like, you know, when you're at a great restaurant and, you know, the waiters are always checking in on you and the GM knows exactly when you look like you need your dessert or whatever it might be. Um, great managers are really good at doing that within the, within the workspace. And I think that translates digitally as well. Um, whether they check in with you face-to-face -face, um, or over Slack or email or whatever it is, um, I think it's a matter of constantly checking in and being present. Yeah, it's really taking that proactive approach. And that's with business development in terms of just making sure that the doors are open, mm -hmm. of, make, of understanding where the opportunities are, because you never know when things just end up lining up. And then yeah. it's up to people in that in the field to connect those dots totally. and execute on it. Yeah, I think almost all job opportunities happen because of chance. I mean, obviously, you, your resume and your background and your experience speak for, you know, tee you up for that. But I think that's completely right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so then leading up into the shift to your current role, you mentioned more about wanting to get operating experience. Yep. Um, tell me more about that. 
So yeah, so I was really excited in this opportunity with Terminal because, you know, I'm so bullish on New York Tech and uh, I've been in New York Tech for several years now. And so being able to uh, work closely with New York-based startups and in, in offering this terminal service to be able to scale their remote engineering teams so that they as a business can work and ship faster was an incredible opportunity for me. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I realized that my career aspirations are in being on the C-suite of a tech company. And uh, quite frankly, I wouldn't be able to do that if I was still in venture. And so I was looking for uh, tech opportunities and ideally at very early stage startup, um, at a very early stage startup stage. And the reason for that being, um, you know, I wanted to figure out, could I apply the lessons that I had learned from venture, having worked with all of these incredible founders across the U.S. and some international markets as well, can I apply those same strategies that I've seen successful businesses apply to their companies at an earlier stage? And could I build, um, you know, our terminal New York presence as well as, um, you know, the BD presence in New York City on my own? And my background, as you saw, is mostly in consumer tech. And so this opportunity to be able to dive into uh, B2B, into enterprise tech was really fascinating for me. Um, And so, you know, all of those things lined up really nicely and I, I took the opportunity. It's really a testament of going broad and then going deep after that, of that framework. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the I-shaped versus T-shaped framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's of going broad first, knowing what's out there, and then choosing what to specialize in. Right. Going deep into that, and then being able to build off those experiences to then go into something that's more broad, such as a manager role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think with BD, it's fantastic because you can... Um, you can learn a wide array of skills that are going to be absolutely transferable and applicable to different um, to different disciplines, to different functions. I think what I've learned from being able to, um, you know, not just structure deals, but also negotiate these deals in BD um, has been in- incredibly helpful and, and a useful skill set for me. Um, I've never really worked on a product or had to sell a product with a price tag on it. Um, if you think about Vine and Gilt, those partnerships were purely based on sort of, um, you know, how can we figure out a great way for us to partner together to increase our awareness of each other's brands. Um, but here I'm, I am selling Terminal with an actual price on it um, and deal structuring and working um, deep into, you know, some of these legal red lines and things like that. You know, it's been an extremely um, eye-opening and, and wonderful experience, and I'm, I'm really grateful to have uh, been able to learn these these new skills at Terminal. What are some of the um, ways you overcome challenges in your role? <laughs> um, let's see. So I think with any role and any challenge that I face, I typically start by looking to my advisors and mentors. Um, I'm a huge fan of sort of learning from others, especially people who have done this before. Um, and so I, my first instinct is to go on LinkedIn and ping someone who's done this. So, you know, a main reason, again, why I joined the Fernio community is because this was my first time in BD, starting a BD function on my own in a new market. And I knew that there were going to be other people in the community who had done this before. And so I wanted to reach out and figure out, you know, what are the first things that I need to think about? Um, I don't have a sales background. So, you know, as I think about building this BD team in New York, 
what does that need to look like in the next three, five years? And what tools do we need to uh, implement now before it's too late? And learning from uh, you know, the experts in the field um, and being able to take that advice and implementing these strategies based on, you know, obviously what I think is right, but using and leveraging the advice of the others around me who had done this before and um, could potentially uh, warn me about, you know, certain um, challenges that they saw and uh, some of the, and to avoid some of those challenges as well. So I think that reaching out to, to experts and mentors in your in your network is um, the first thing that I do in order to overcome those challenges. Mm. It's really about uh, knowing where the opportunities are and then seizing them as well. Mm-hmm. So that strategy aspect and then the execution. And I think that's the thing with BD, how so many people come from different backgrounds and they're able to do different general tasks, but also specialize in certain areas. Yeah. And that's where that collective comes into play. And same with companies as well of partnerships. When one firm partners with another, they're both bringing their core competencies together mm-hmm. to then create something that um, is more than the sum of its parts. Right. Absolutely. And really, um, I'm just curious, in uh, in growing up in Japan, um, how was that like? And um, were there any um, applications to what you're in your professional life? There are definitely applications of growing up um outside of the U.S. So growing up in Japan, so I grew up in Tokyo mostly. I was born in Hong Kong, uh, lived in Sydney for a couple years, in London, in Milan, in Paris, a couple other places I'm forgetting. Um, I also did a semester at Beijing University. Um, the So I really have nothing to compare my life to because this is the life I lived and I can't really um, imagine what it would be like um, otherwise. Yeah. But growing up as an international or what we call like a third culture kid where you're in a country where your parents aren't from um, has been really great for me, I think, in terms of needing to grow up really quickly. Um, I think that third culture kids tend to be very good at uh, meeting new types of and different types of people Mm -hmm. um, and being able to converse with a lot of different types of people of different backgrounds, of different social, socioeconomic backgrounds and things like that. So it's been tremendously helpful in my professional career, just being able to step into a meeting, into a room of people, not knowing where anyone's from and just knowing that I have the confidence um, and the expertise to be able to go um, and have you know a wonderful conversation and connect with these people um, and get business done. So growing up in Japan definitely helped me, obviously, with my role at Gilt um, in in New York, as well as my role at Vine, where I was directly responsible for growing the user base um, in Japan, as well as some key international markets. So understanding, you know, the cultural differences between a shopper in New York versus Hong Kong, and just inherently understanding that, for example, in Hong Kong, you step outside and similar to New York, um, if you're looking for electronics or like produce. You just go right downstairs and there's a place that will sell everything to you. And so online e-commerce is not as convenient as that experience. And being able to know that just from having lived in those countries um, inherently made me better at my job Um, and, you know, made it easier for me to make product recommendations as well as marketing recommendations to the team at Gilt and at Vine. Um, because I had lived that life and I knew inherently what the users and the shoppers, um, in the example of guilt, um, what they were coming to the app to look for, what their behaviors were like, 
um, and, and things like that. So it's definitely been helpful. Um, I'd say if you grow up internationally, definitely look for a role where you're responsible for international growth for um, for a tech company. Your services are very much needed. <laughs> yeah, really leveraging the perspective. Mm-hmm. So in terms of advice to listeners, what advice would you give for people wanting to break into BD? That is a great question. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. Um, for... From what I've seen, I think breaking into BD is probably one of the more simpler functions to break into. Um, I think that there are a lot of transferable skills that you can gain in other functions and industries that are applicable in BD. Uh, For example, there are a lot of people with law degrees and backgrounds that do incredibly well in business development. Um, And a large reason for that is that you're dealing with um, legal contracts, you're figuring out Um, You're negotiating, you're structuring deals, and all of those hard skills you learn in law. I think in BD, it's all about empathy and figuring out, again, identifying what the other person, what they're trying to solve, and you want to figure out a way that you can solve it together. And so I think a lot of that comes back to empathy as a soft skill. Um, And then, of course, as a hard skill, a law background helps as does um, sales, because a lot of BD is also based on on transaction. Um, But I'd love to hear what you think in terms of breaking into the function. Yeah, you really um, touched upon um, both what the hard skills are and the soft skills. So what's generalist in terms of being able to know a little bit of everything in terms of those skills, but then what I'd say is like specialist as well, like what's more to you Mm -hmm. about um, having that empathy so I'll go along similar veins. Um, I'll say uh, resourcefulness in terms of that caring skill that lasts regardless of whatever function because it's really about being able to learn for yourself. Um, there's going to be situations where you don't know um, something and you've never done it ever before, but then it's important to try, whether it be going to talk to people such as your mentors, um, people in your support network, or even just tinkering on it by yourself. Because for me, a lot of it, in terms of building the skills, came from doing side projects. So something that wasn't in my current role, but what I could do during my free time to then just build myself up to get ready. And it's a lot of it could just really be um, not being afraid of failure, yes. but also putting yourself in situations where the risk of failure isn't that great. So whether it be um, doing something in uh, your own environment or just starting off small. It's taking those steps and then getting bigger from that because anything in the process is about, um, just as with habits, it's taking the small steps to build up the muscle memory to mm-hmm. then be able to make bigger moves. Yeah, I would say, I think being afraid to fail, that's a huge point. I think we might be lucky in that we have a lot of demand for what we do and the partnerships that we can offer and the deals that we can offer. Um, I would say that if you're interested in BD, there are a lot of roles where you're cold calling all day and you're going to hear no more than you're going to hear yes. Um, so being okay with you know the option of failing and being okay with being turned down and um, you know learning from and iterating from the processes that you've you've put in place, um, I think that's that's huge. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm sure with enterprise, given for me, I work at a large enterprise right now. Um, it's a lot about persistence of mm-hmm. being able to continue to drive that conversation forward, even when the other side might not be as responsive 
And then going into consumer as well, it's with the A-B testing mm -hmm. of running different experiments here and there to see what works and then carrying that forward. Right. I mean, I think, talk about failure. I mean, Vine obviously was shut down by Twitter a few years ago. When I joined the team, we had just... <laughs> so when I joined Vine, the phenomenon of social video was no longer just a Vine thing. Instagram had launched Instagram video. Yeah. And there's a really terrible graph that you can see online of the day that Instagram video launches and basically just the utter demise and decline of Vine on the same day. Um, and it just coincides very beautifully. And so I've just joined this position where I'm meant to grow and scale the usage of this app that is no longer really relevant because the number one platform that people are using, which is Instagram, has essentially turned our company into a feature of theirs. And so, you know, as you think about being faced with, you know, the potential to fail and going and, uh, in my case, speaking with like BBC in the UK and uh, Yahoo Japan in Japan, as well as all of these different businesses and trying to get them to use your app and spend the time and resources to create a six-second looping video um, that we you couldn't monetize on, on Vine at the time, and you can't now. Um, but, um, you know, you could on YouTube, and Snapchat was paying creators to post, and Instagram also had a, a way to, to generate revenue on the platform. So you're going up against these behemoths, and, you know, how do you figure out a way to sell your product when you're up against all of this adversity and competition. Um, I'm happy to dive into how we thought about it, but that was just such a <laughs> tremendous wall that it was up against, you know, just starting that role and, and something that you just reminded me of. But it's ultimately a really fun learning opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it looks like um, resilience would be another one of those yes. lasting characteristics. <laughs> and so how was overcoming that challenge? Yeah, so, you know, ultimately we decided not to uh, monetize the app. And because we had made that decision, it was now just up to us to figure out, okay, how can we leverage Vine amongst all of these competitors? So the main pitch that I had to creators and to businesses alike was, you know, create your audience on Vine. Use this nascent app where there is still really high conversion because we're essentially catering to all these users that decided not to jump ship to Instagram or to Snapchat or to YouTube and create your audience with Vine, create a loyal following and grow that audience until a point where you can take that audience with you to some of these other platforms that you can monetize on. Um, so if you think about launching your brand today, you probably won't think about Instagram or YouTube. It's so saturated. There are so many... Uh, users on there and businesses on there with extremely uh, large audiences. And, and um, uh, so, you know, you wouldn't think about entering a saturated market. And so our pitch was basically use Vine to grow your audience. And then once you grew that audience, then take the audience with you to a monetizable platform. Um, and that seemed to work. Mm. In a sense, kind of like LinkedIn right now in terms of not having as much content, so being able mm -hmm. to get that content seen by others. Yeah. So that's really interesting story about um, understanding the core competencies and then making sure that that's known amid, even amidst competitive pressure. Right. I think, you know, that's what's really exciting about BD too. You know, you could have 
come into the role and said, well, I give up. We're up against Instagram and their video features are really fun and vines are really hard to make and they're hard to make funny. And that seems to be the core content that does well on the platform. Like, let's let's close up shop. But I think in BD, you know, you can be really creative with how you figure out solving the problem. Um, you can be really creative in how you then take your solution to these businesses and to these um, in this situation to these uh, vine creators and and um, you know ultimately you are responsible for figuring out how you um, whether it's you grow revenue or users or, or whatever it might be but you can be so creative in getting to that endpoint um, so I'd say there is an element of, of creativity and um, and I guess. Yeah, there is a huge element of creativity in BD. I'm sure you come across that too in your role. Definitely. Yeah, the way I define creativity, or I've heard it defined, is the combination of two disparate ideas to create something new. Mm -hmm. And I think that captures BD really great. Yeah. Julia, it (laughs) was great having a conversation. And thanks so much for being here. Thank you. This was wonderful.